2: Welcome to True Crime Garage, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man with a reminder that you should have picked a bigger weapon.
3: Here is the captain. That's what she said. It's good to be seen. It's good to see you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Today we are still drinking Nosferatu by
2: Great Lakes Brewing Company. It's an Imperial Red IPA, 8% ABV. This is one of the most beautiful-looking beers once poured into an appropriate beer glass. And Nosferatu is sporting a new look. That's right, this beauty is now available in a 16-ounce can, garage-grade 4 out of 5 bottle caps. And here's some cheers to our friends for helping us out this week. First up... A big shout-out and thank you to Bethany in Alma, Michigan. Tall cans
3: in the air. A big shout-out to Christy in Dickinson, North Dakota. Next
2: up, here's a cheers to Raymond Sanchez serving this great country. Thank you for your service, Raymond.
3: And a big we like your jib to Lori in Madison, Indiana.
2: Next up, we have Aaron in the Montague Gold Mines in Nova Scotia, Canada. And last but certainly not least, we have Stephanie in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. Everyone we mentioned, they went to our website and helped us out with this week's beer fund. And for that,
3: we thank you. Yeah, Monte Yu. Monte B W W R U N beer run. Make sure you tell a friend. Make sure you go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. If you don't, if you don't. We're telling your parents on you, and that's enough of the business.
2: All right, everybody, gather around, grab a chair, grab a beer. Let's talk some true crime.
1: The most prolific serial killer in American history. Samuel Little has confessed to
2: 93 murders. Oh, did she fight for her ice, and I'm for my pleasure. It's disturbing to listen to, but investigators want to hear it all and more.
0: She, 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 she was laughing while I was killing her.
1: The most prolific serial killer in American history.
0: I reached over, I choked her, and once uh, she was dead, I pulled her out of the car, looked around, jumped back in the car, left. Little says he
2: has a photographic memory and has drawn sketches of his victims. Drawn sketches of his victims. Hey, tell me about um, Northern Kentucky, the girl that you met in Columbus. So you meet this girl, <clears throat> I guess you're at a strip bar downtown Columbus.
0: No, we don't want to come. You know, this white girl come out behind a building. You know, in my trunk. She walked over to me. Say, uh, come on, you Can you take me to Miami? Describe this girl to me. She white, black? What she look like? She's white, blonde okay. hair, dishwater, dishwater blonde it goes. It's short. Short like shoulder length, yeah, or no, 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 early, a little over the ear Like a bob. Yeah, like a bob. Okay, and um, how tall do you think she was? She was about five seven. How much did you think she was. weighs? She weighed about 130. She How old do you think she was? Oh, she was about 25. Okay. You mentioned before
2: that, that uh, you said she kind of had like this hippie aura to her. Yeah, she
0: did give you a hippie feeling. I think she was some kind of hippie, here. Yeah. So
2: you go to Cincinnati, you mess around on Vine Street, and then eventually you guys both get in your
0: car and you cross over the, the bridge into Kentucky. Tell me about going into Kentucky. We got to Covington, and then we continued through Covington. Mm-hmm. And there was a park that they were having a festival there. And she heard the music and shit off that band in there. And by her being a hippie type, you know, she oh she wanted to get to that. But the police came over and peeped in the, in our car. He really wanted me to move out of here. So we, instead of going in there, I took her the other way, right. round, winding around. They got hills down in Kentucky, and the road winds around the hills. Mm-hmm. I seen a little short road going up mm-hmm. the hill, mm-hmm. and, and up top there was uh, vegetation. Wasn't no islands or nothing. And so I pulled up in there, and in, in concealed my, the car in, in that little vegetation up there on top of the hill. Mm-hmm. So tell me about this, this road that goes up the hill. What kind of road is it? It was, it was like a, a dirt road. Okay. It was like dirt. The grass was growing in the middle between two tracks. When I left her up in, the, in that little road up there, on the side of that little road, she was like partially concealed by the vegetation.
2: His mouth to your ears, that is killer Sam Little, describing how he picked up a hippie chick in Columbus, Ohio, and then discarded her in the foothills of Kentucky. Let's take a look at this guy's background. Some of what we know about Sam Little and what we're going to tell you here today comes from writer Jillian Loren's article about Sam Little. Now note, she is working on a book about him and these cases. Little was born in Reynolds, Georgia, June 7th, 1940. His mother was 16-year-old Bessie May Little. His father was 19-year-old Paul McDowell, one of the surnames Little used throughout his life. Little has said that his mother worked as a sex worker, but according to Cleveland Magazine, a 1940 census lists her occupation as a maid. According to him, Little's mom didn't want to be pregnant and tried to abort the baby by tying a rope around her waist and pulling it as tight as possible. Some sources have reported that Little was born while his mother was incarcerated. He was raised by his paternal grandparents, Henry and Fanny McDowell, in Lorain, Ohio. He attended Hawthorne Middle School, but quit in the eighth grade. He was first arrested for stealing a bike in February of 1954 and spent some time at a boys' industrial school in Lancaster, Ohio, a violent reform school where he says the boys were regularly gang raped by the older, stronger kids. He was there for 18
3: months. Well, what do they say? Hurt people hurt people? His next arrest would be in 1956 in Omaha for burglary.
2: Then we have him again in 1957, this time back in Lorain, Ohio. He was again sent to a youth facility, this time the Ohio State Reformatory in Mansfield, which was closed by court order in 1990 due to overcrowding and inhumane conditions. This prison is best known for the filming location for the Shawshank Redemption. He got out and was arrested in October of 1961 for burglarizing a Lorraine furniture warehouse. By this point in our timeline, Captain Sam Little is 21 years of age and he's sent back to Mansfield for three more years. This is where he learned to draw, spend his time in prison, sketching and painting. He also was trained as a boxer at this time. Little fought as a competitive boxer until his mid-twenties. Eventually, Sam Little quit boxing, but he would continue to use his boxing skills to punch and knock out his victims who were helpless against his strength and power.
3: Well, there's a huge difference. Like you said, he trained as a boxer, so this guy understood how to punch and how to punch correctly. And the average, even amateur boxer, could hit harder than the average man walking around on the streets.
2: The LA times had some very thorough coverage of Sam little. Of course, this because so many of his crimes took place in their city and they say, quote, little traced the urge to kill to his youth. He said he got his first erection in kindergarten when he watched his teacher touch her neck later in grade school. He dreamed of killing a girl who stroked her neck while teasing him. At age 15, he was flipping through a true crime magazine when he came across a photo spread depicting a strangled 18-year-old. He said that he pinned it to his wall, stating she had a beautiful neck. After his release from prison, when he was 26 years of age, Sam Little moved to Florida to live with his mother, with whom he had reconnected after she sent him a letter saying he should come see her in the Sunshine State. According to the Star Advertiser, he worked at the Dade County Department of Sanitation and later at a cemetery. After his mom died, Sam hit the road. Little traveled the country, not really ever holding a real job, at least not for very long. He got arrested time and time again as he traveled the underbelly of the country, mingling seamlessly with the disenfranchised, the poor, the addicted, and the desperate. It was within this demographic that he selected his victims. By the time he was extradited by Mitzi Roberts to L.A., his rap sheet was over 100 pages, filled with scores of instances of brutal violence against women, beatings, sexual assaults, chokings, even attempted murders. He had escaped real prison time on all but the 1984 San Diego assaults on Lori and Tanya. According to a Texas Ranger's, Slash FBI bulletin released in November of 2021. Here are the periods of time in which Little was incarcerated for six months or more, during which obviously he did not kill any women. This would be from May 28, 1971 to March 14, 1972. Then again from November 25, 1982 to January 18, 1984. October 25th 84 to February 1 of 87, June 5th 88 to April 11th 1989 and then again June 20th to 1990, December 9th to 1990. And then he's finally locked up for January 15th 1998 to April 26th 2002. Now, it's a little tedious to go through those dates, but it's important because we sit here to this day in 2022 still asking the public and law enforcement agencies out there for help. We have unidentified victims of Sam Little. We have confessions that he has made and we have not linked them to any victims yet. They are still connecting the dots on his murder map.
3: Well, I believe these kind of Criminals are actually the scariest, these lifetime criminals, because it's almost like prison becomes their second home, where most people are afraid, well, if I do this crime, I, I might get caught, I might go to prison. They don't care about that, so they become even more dangerous, and they're going to do what they want to do in their daily life.
2: And this man, of course, has a history of violence. Let's review some of that information that we know about his life. Now, we know that Little got married in Lorain, Ohio in 1965, but he was soon divorced. His first arrest for a crime of violence against a woman is believed to be a 1966 arrest in Cleveland for assault and battery on a woman. If he did any time for this attack, it was minimal, and we don't have any information because, frankly, it was so long ago. He said that he moved to Florida when he was 26, where in 1970 he murdered Mary Brosley. This would be his first murder victim. After he killed Mary, Sam Little returned to Cleveland, where he was arrested in May of 1971 for armed robbery of a gas station. While in prison, he racked up sodomy and aggravated assault charges. This is when he met Orlea Jean Dorsey. She will be very important to our story, one, but also very important to keeping this murderer on the streets. This is what happened. Little's girlfriend at the time, who was arrested with him on the armed robbery charges, was planning to testify against him in that robbery case. Now, Little doesn't know this at the time. So as she sat in jail, she's in jail with this Gene Dorsey person who Little does not know at this point. And she's telling her, hey, I'm going to testify against the guy that I was arrested with. So then Gene meets Sam Little, also in the jail, and warns him, saying, hey, your girlfriend is going to testify against you. So when the trial came around, Sam Little was prepared. To fight against that, to have a defense against that testimony. And so was his new friend, Gene Dorsey. So she testified on Sam Little's behalf, pretending that the two of them were in a relationship together and that they were together at the time of the robbery. So picture this captain, his girlfriend who he's locked up with, and then the strange woman that neither of them know. The situation is this the girlfriend has to admit to her being involved in the armed robbery to implicate him. Well, she does not know that Sam is prepared for this. So prepared that she has, he has an alibi and was not there at the time of the robbery. So this really gets turned around on Sam's girlfriend at the time. What ends up happening is the jury returns a not guilty verdict on the armed robbery charge. This dude gets lucky time and time again.
3: Well, I don't think Sam Little is a bright guy. I don't think he's the sharpest tool in the shed, but he definitely has some criminal sophistication, and he's able to come up with these plausible excuses that get him out of these charges from time and time again.
2: So as we can imagine, Little and Gene become quick friends, and she is 27 years his senior. They had I'm guessing they had an odd dynamic. But they traveled together. They, in fact, were traveling companions for years. Dorsey taught Little how to fence stolen goods. She was a shoplifting expert and his traveling companion. The two traveled the country together in whatever car Sam Little was driving at the time. Whenever they stopped in a small town, they would steal stuff from stores like Walmart and then fence the items in crack houses in seedy parts of the town with the money they'd buy food, booze, drugs, and cheap motels. At night, after Gene was in bed, Sam Little would head out to engage in his nefarious activities. In the morning, Gene Dorsey would clean out his car, ridding it of all evidence of the previous night's victim, before they took off for the next small town. The writer Jillian says in Confronting a Serial Killer, That Jean knew about Sam Little's hobby. She routinely cleaned the car of blood, shit, hair, teeth, clothing, jewelry, any evidence of Sam Little's horrific activities from the night before.
3: How sick of an individual and how much trauma has to be a part of your upbringing to assist, basically, this psychopathic serial killer?
2: Well, it turns out, Captain, that Gene wasn't Little's only accomplice. So now we have to introduce this Danny Beckless. He's a 19-year-old who met Gene and Sam Little in Little Rock in 1982. There's some kind of weird information here. It's a little unclear exactly how this young man started traveling with this older woman and this psychopath, Sam Little. My understanding is that Danny wasn't raised in the best of households and these two grifters come into town and say, Hey, we, we got a store down in Florida that we own and we can give your son a job if he's willing to travel with us and work for us. So Danny gets the blessing of his parents and then travels along with these two maniacs. They drive all over the Gulf coast until they are arrested in Mississippi. There, Danny told police that they spent their days shoplifting, fenced stolen goods, and checked into budget motels. Then Sam Little would head out to meet women, sometimes not returning until late the next morning. Now, he says that Sam Little didn't talk about ladies or nothing because Mrs. Dorsey was the jealous type. But Danny Beckless told police when the two men were alone, Sam Little would brag to him about meeting these different women. It looks to me like Danny was in some ways a victim too. There's evidence to suggest that Sam Little was awfully violent with this Danny individual. And there's not a lot that I could find to indicate that Danny, while he likely may have had thoughts or suspicions of what Sam Little was up to. It doesn't seem like he had any direct firsthand knowledge of Sam's murders.
3: So what you're saying is Sam Little is, you know, revisionist history, and he's saying, well, I, I'm just hooking up with these girls. I, I didn't kill them. But this individual is not accomplice in the murders, but he's accomplice and all the other crimes that they're going to be doing in between the murders. This is
2: basically a a traveling band of criminals. A lot of it, Danny is going to witness and be part of these more petty type crimes, the thefts and robberies and things of that nature. And I wonder if this was kind of a need for Jean Dorsey. We know that she's, she's getting up there in years by this time. She's the, shoplifting expert. Remember, that's what Sam Little called her. I wonder if this Danny character is somebody that they needed. They needed to take somebody on to contribute because if they don't, if they're not stealing these items and selling them or successful robbing somebody and getting away with it, which you can tell by his rap sheet, he's not so great at robbing people and getting away with it, then their money's going to dry up. And the money that they make from fencing these items is what's keeping their, their travels going, ongoing. And they're also, especially Sam Little, again, he's using a good amount of alcohol and drugs at this point, too. So that requires some form of income. And we know that Gene Dorsey and Sam Little weren't going to have an income the honest way. Now, Gene Dorsey died of an aneurysm in 1987. We don't know if this happened when Sam Little was in prison, but it's worth noting that Sam Little admitted he had beaten Gene in the past. So I wonder, is it possible that her brain injury was the result of such beatings? Of course, it's impossible to know this. Sam Little has commented that whenever he was romantically involved with a woman, remember we know he was married at least once and had two long-term girlfriends. He would say that he purposely avoided looking at their necks because he was trying to resist the urge of killing them. He told investigators that he had never killed anyone he loved, but he seems to have been unable to resist physical violence, even against those he, I guess you could say cared about, Gene Dorsey being one of them. When Sam Little got out of prison in California in 1987, he resumed killing with a vengeance. This is when he killed Carol Alford in LA. He has confessed to six more such murders in the Los Angeles area in 1987, all of which remain unsolved because the identities of his victims aren't known and the victim's have gotten lost in the sheer mountain of victims from that era in the Los Angeles area.
3: Sad to think that there's murder victims out there that there's nobody looking for them or looking for answers to what happened to their loved one.
2: Well, I think there are people that may be looking, but the problem becomes, I mean, obviously Los Angeles and several other major cities in the United States had a huge homicide problem in the late eighties and early nineties. Now, without Jean, now that Jean Dorsey has passed away, without Jean to handle the shoplifting, Sam Little started to get caught. In 1991, he was arrested in Lorraine, Ohio for stealing a carton of cigarettes and hitting someone with his car. For some reason, although he was charged, he was let out pending trial and shocker, he skipped town. It doesn't seem like anyone bothered to check his background or record in a lot of states when he's getting picked up on these lesser charges. And so they don't realize that they're dealing with this career criminal. They let him out because you get let out until you have your trial. But as you pointed out, Captain, and we pointed out, he's living this nomadic lifestyle. Of course, he's just going to hop in his car and drive away.
3: Well, and Sam Little has nothing to lose.
2: That's right. Now, what ends up happening here is he gets caught for something else. It's not clear to me what. But when he's caught for these other things years later, he now has to face those 1991 charges that he dodged in Ohio. So he pleads guilty to the new stuff that he gets arrested for, plus the old Ohio charges, and gets sentenced to a 2- to 10-year sentenced in prison for these crimes. After he gets out of prison for this stint, this is when he kills his final victim, Nancy Stevens, in 2005. He is 65 years old at this time. Now, remember the important arrest, one of the most important arrests in his case, is the arrest that would provide the grounds for extradition extradite him from Kentucky to the state of California in 2012. This is when Sam Little was arrested in Los Angeles for cocaine possession in 2007. He pled guilty, but of course failed to attend a court-ordered drug rehab program. So a bench warrant was issued for his arrest. As we heard earlier, and as we said earlier, Mitzi Roberts had a heck of a time tracking him down. Because during his entire criminal career, including the three and a half decades spanning the killing years between 1970 and 2005, Sam Little didn't really live anywhere. He literally spent his life as a transient, preferring shelters, halfway houses, seedy motels, even sleeping in cars. He said he rarely stayed in any one place for longer than three days. He had no fixed address no registered vehicle, no credit cards or paper trail. He didn't vote. He was a ghost. And law enforcement agencies didn't cross-reference with other jurisdictions the way that they do now. So an arrest for assaulting a woman in one state meant nothing to investigators in another. In fact, in many of his arrests over the decades, police detained and released Sam Little just hoping that he'd leave their jurisdiction. while your subscription is active.
3: All right, we are back. You filthy the animals. Crispy, cheers. Cheers, sir.
2: Every one of the investigators who talked to Sam Little was really taken aback at his ability to recall each distinct victim. You'd think they would begin to blur together in his depraved mind when there are are so many.
3: Right. If somebody committed three murders, you might expect them to know every little detail. But once you get past 10 victims, it seems like they would all kind of, like you were saying, they're all blurred together
2: and the sheer amount of time that has passed in a lot of these. We're talking decades as well. But he seemed to be able to recall the victim's clothing, jewelry, where he picked them up, their final death throes. What he usually could not recall was names and dates, and even some of the exact dump sites. For example, he recalled that he picked up a girl in Memphis and dumped her in the Mississippi River, but he thought that happened in 1984. It is actually believed to have been 1990. Part of his recall process involved cars. The car he was driving at the time figured heavily in his memories, which makes sense. We've talked about this with Ted Bundy. We've talked about this with Ed Kemper. A lot of these guys, the vehicle is very much one of their killing weapons, part of their, Batman utility belt, another tool in their utility belt for their life of crime or their career of killing people. The problem for law enforcement was trying to pin down the victims because they're getting statements from Sam Little, like a white girl in Cincinnati sometime in the eighties left there in a field. You know, these are not exactly specific details. And there are tens of thousands of Jane Does in the United States going through each one to try to match a piece of jewelry or a dress pattern is nearly impossible, even using NamUs. As the conversations evolved, Holland, our Texas Ranger, recalled at one point in his youth, Sam Little had painted a mural. This was while Little was in the Dade County, Florida, jail in 1976. He had painted a massive mural on the jailhouse wall, with permission, of historical black figures. It was so impressive, it received coverage from the Miami News. Now, Ranger Holland asked Sam Little, the killer, if he could draw some of the victims so they could possibly identify them. If he couldn't remember their names but could remember what they looked like, maybe he could draw that, sketch this for law enforcement, and this could help find these unnamed victims.
3: Yeah, it's a very creative approach.
2: Sam Little ended up producing scores of drawings of women whose faces were so recognizable that, in fact, several of them were identified by their family members. Now, authorities went through a moral struggle with this serial killer's artwork, if you will, and whether to release them to the public or not. On one hand, it was considered likely, based on the detail in the drawings, that during that doing so would help identify the victims. On the other hand, it seemed almost to glorify this monster, right? Publishing his artwork so that his victims' images were as he saw them, rather than as their loved ones remembered them.
3: Law enforcement is going to release these, which I think is good because... It gives us a chance to identify these women and get some closure, get some answers for the family.
2: These sketches are viewable on the FBI's Sam Little webpage and are definitely worth looking at. As people looked at them, they saw victims, they recognized, for example, when Akron, Ohio detectives heard the details of a little confession in their town, they hearkened back to an unsolved murder. They showed Tanya Masler, one of Sam Little's drawings labeled Akron Left in Woods 1990 or 1991, and Tanya immediately knew who it was. It was her mother, Roberta. She had been found decomposed in a wooded area of Cleveland's Firestone Metro Park in September of 1991, and her cause of death was undetermined at that time. But as soon as Tanya saw Sam Little's drawing, she and the investigators now knew what and who had killed Roberta after nearly 30 years. So stories like this made using the artwork worth it, as the captain pointed out.
3: So Sam Little's confessions and these portraits and the tactics they used, they were able to solve some cases that were decades old.
2: Yeah, they're able to verify previously unsolved homicides using all of this work that they've put in and the FBI, their agents, Palozo and Williamson that we've mentioned earlier, they reached out to more than 200 investigators with details of crimes, descriptions of the victims, their clothing, where they were dumped and so on. They're trying to figure out if there were even more. All in all, over 650 hours of interviews were conducted between Sam little and various law enforcement officials From multiple states. The FBI worked with local investigators to clear these cases as they confirmed Sam Little's confessions. Sam Little confessed to killing women in Arizona, Arkansas, California, Georgia, Florida, Illinois, Louisiana, Maryland, Mississippi, Nevada, Ohio, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Kentucky, Indiana, Missouri, and New Mexico. And the agency has confirmed many of Little's admissions. A November 2018 news release issued by VICAP is entitled Convicted Killer Linked to 90 Murders. This from a more recent October 6, 2019 VICAP release. This is essentially an update to their original release. that states, the FBI confirms that Sam Little, age 79, is the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history. To date, Little has confessed to 93 murders, and the FBI crime analysts believe all of his confessions are credible. The FBI's Violent Criminal Apprehension program can also confirm that Little has been matched to 50 cases, with many more pending final confirmation.
3: Well, even though Sam is, you know, basically bragging, I've killed this many people, and it's a, and it's a huge number. And we've seen in several cases where serial killers you know, boost their numbers by a little bit, pad them a little bit. So you have to do your due diligence to make sure there is even a victim in that area. And is it a victim that you can actually connect to Sam little and they're going to be able to add, I believe 10 more victims to his laundry list.
2: Yeah. That will be within a year of releasing that, uh, FBI information to the public in 2019. So when we say confirmed 10 more cases, that's not in addition to the 93. That is clearing some of the 93. Right. He had confessed to 93 victims, but at one point they only had identified 30 of them. And then that number grew and grew and grew as they were able to finally confirm some of these confessions. Now, like the captain pointed out, This is a strange situation, and I know that there's probably some people out there going, you know what? I don't know that I believe this guy. Serial killers are notorious liars, and he probably just wants credit for more than he actually did, and I can agree with a lot of that, and I don't know, and I'm not going to sit here today and say that I believe 100% that he killed all 93 of these women. I do think that he killed a large majority of them. The others yet to be determined by the colonel here. But the thing here with Sam Little that sets him apart, and this is not this is not any kudos. This is not an attaboy to this monster. This is simply telling you why he is different than some of these other types of killers. And I think some of the best information or the best thoughts on that comes from district attorney... Gary Rempel out of San Diego. He was the guy that tried Sam little in the San Diego cases. And he says, look, this guy, he was not a would be killer, right? He, even though he got off in, in San Diego and he could not get a conviction, Gary, the district attorney said straight up, I reviewed this guy's file. He's not a would be killer. Who's being tried for two attempted murders. He goes, this guy is a torture killer, and when he gets out of his short prison stint here from these dodging these attempted murder charges, he's going to kill again. He's likely going to go elsewhere and kill again, and he referred to it as the Sam Little playbook. You know, the reason why Sam Little was so successful was his playbook because his murders worked. His playbook worked, and it was simple. Sam Little moved frequently. He used aliases. He traveled with an alibi witness, Gene Dorsey, who, if he did find himself in a jam, would come to his rescue and say, no, he couldn't have been over there doing that bad thing because he was with me. He left no weapons, used no weapons, and sadly, unfortunately, he picked victims that would not be missed. That's the Sam Little playbook. That's the playbook that worked.
3: So there's obviously some confessions that line up and match and make sense, but then there's other cases that don't line up and don't make sense.
2: Yeah, this is, not, this is very messy. It's, it's not clean by any means. So by the spring of 2020, Sam Little had been convicted of eight murders in California, Ohio, and Texas. He was charged with several more that have not been adjudicated. As we said earlier, it's been reported that the FBI has confirmed 62 of Little's confessed homicides, but we know that he confessed to 93 kills. The FBI has created an interactive website of a U.S. map with locational pins reflecting scores of victims of Sam Little's who have not yet been identified. Jane Doe's and two murders described by Sam Little that have not yet been identified definitively corroborated by law enforcement. So these are unmatched confessions. It also indicates Jane does that have been matched to Sam little, but are still unidentified themselves. Each confession includes a short caption or blurb, and many include a drawing done by Sam little. You heard one in today's trailer.
3: Yeah. Creepo.
2: The purpose of this page is to provide the public with as much information as possible about these unidentified murder victims in hopes that someone somewhere knows who they are. Even more recently, in November of last year, the FBI and the Texas Rangers issued a joint bulletin entitled Sam Little Case Profiles that requests public assistance Identifying his remaining victims. The bulletin contains very detailed blurbs about each murder and the sketch for each victim, if one was made. All of the unidentified victims were killed between 1970 and 1997. The bulletin is broken down by state. We have 16 unidentified Los Angeles victims, as well as unidentified victims in other states five in Florida, three in Georgia one in Tennessee, one in Ohio, two in Louisiana, one in Mississippi, and one in Las Vegas for a total of 31 unidentified. Adding to the 62 that have been attributed to Sam Little, and we have 93 in total. In some of the unmatched confessions, the FBI has provided us with lots of detail.
3: And if you're interested, you can go to fbi.gov. And look up these portraits yourself. And I suggest people do that.
2: Sam Little confessed to 17 murders in Los Angeles in the mid to late 80s. This is in addition to the three that he was convicted of. One of the 17 is Alice Duvall, now believed to be resolved. So that leaves 16 additional cases in Los Angeles. As of the end of 2020, Mitzi Roberts told the Washington Post, police have very strong leads in about five of the remaining cases, but are not yet able to say with confidence, this is him, this is why. The task is complicated, she said, because as many as half a dozen serial killers using similar methods were operating in Los Angeles in the 1980s, the era when Little was active there. Per the LA Times, quote, during the time period that he was convicted of murdering three women in Los Angeles, we were in the middle of a crack cocaine epidemic. Prosecutor Beth Silverman said during that time period, there were more than 100 women of color who wound up dead in alleyways in South Los Angeles. By November of 2021, so late last year, Captain, none of the 16 in Los Angeles had been definitively identified. So those are still open, unresolved cases. Yeah. And then there are the cases that might not have yet been attributed to Sam Little, but they have been mistakenly attributed to someone else, someone who is innocent. There are two known cases where Sam Little is believed to have been responsible for the murder, but someone else was convicted. Samuel Little died. December 30th, 2020, of natural causes in a California hospital. By the time of his death, nearly 60 of his murders were confirmed, making him the most prolific serial killer in U.S. history. He got away with so much death because he knew exactly what he was doing when he selected victims no one would miss or fight for. His own words tell the story of his calculated M.O. He told Cleveland Magazine, quote, yeah, I'm not going to go over there in the white neighborhood and pick out a little young teenage girl, he said. I ain't going to go over there and pick out a housewife while she's out there with the shopping in her hands and drag her into the car. That's the kind you get busted for. The New York Times stated the same. Says, quote, I never killed no senators or governors or fancy New York journalists. Nothing like that. He told the reporter, if I killed you, it'd be all over the news the next day. I stayed in the ghettos, end quote. And this is from the Washington Post, which really did an absolutely fantastic three-part series on Sam Little. This says, quote, police officials acknowledge that the vast majority of murders attributed to Little would never have been solved without his voluntary confession, Little's decades of impunity underscore a troubling truth about the U.S. criminal justice system. It is possible to get away with murder if you kill people whose lives are already devalued by society.
3: Well, Little admitted to Jillian Lauren that any apologies that he made or remorse that he had shown, it was an act. He didn't care whether the victim's families forgave him. He felt nothing when he killed them. Except exhilaration and the selfish need to make them his. Like always, stellar research. Thanks for keeping us entertained, Colonel. Do we have any recommended reading for the beautiful listeners?
2: Yes, but only for the beautiful listeners. This week we are recommending Forced Sex Trafficking, What It Is and How You Can End It by Christopher Armitage. We can't just sit around and wait for the most disgusting scourges that face humanity to be cleaned up by someone else. So join the fight and read this book. After gathering research from traveling three continents, interviews with victims, nonprofit aid workers, former CIA operatives, and many other official and unofficial sources, this book will give you exactly what the title says. That's Forced Sex Trafficking, What It Is and How You Can End It by Christopher Armitage. You can find that great title and many other recommendations on our recommended page at truecrimegarage.com.
3: Yeah, join us back here in the garage next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't miss.